I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, Episode 7, The Rite of Sodomy. And I'm reading from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality and the Roman Catholic Church, Volume 4, pages 822 to 825. Archbishop Rembert Weakland, Archdiocese of Milwaukee. George Weakland was born on April 2, 1927, and grew up in the coal mining town of Patton in the Allegheny Mountains near Altoona, Pennsylvania. He was one of six children born to Basil and Mary Kane Weakland. His father owned a hotel, but it burned it down when George was a little tyke, leaving the family in difficult straits. Like many adult homosexual men, George suffered the loss of his father at a very early age. He was only four when his father died. His courageous mother raised all her children, ages six months to nine years, by herself. George became the proverbial good little boy in the family. George Weakland's parish priest, Father McFadden, recognized that the young boy had a remarkable aptitude for music and instructed a nun at the parish school to give him piano lessons. George was thinking about a career as a concert pianist and church organist, but decided to become a monk instead. Following a visit to the Benedictine Arch Abbey of St. Vincent's in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and with the encouragement of Father McFadden, George enrolled at St. Vincent's Preparatory School at the age of 13. In 1945, he pronounced his first vows as a Benedictine brother and took the name Rembert. His early years at St. Vincent's Seminary were relatively uneventful. He continued his piano and organ playing along with his academic studies. Except for his fellow songbirds in the music department, he had few friends and was described by one of his classmates as basically a loner, certainly never one of the boys. His health was said to be delicate and his demeanor a feat. In 1948, at the age of 21, he went to Rome for theological studies at the International Benedictine College of Sant'Anselmo. He was ordained a priest of the Order of St. Benedict on June 24, 1951, at Subiaco, Italy, by Bishop Lorenzo S. Salvi, OSB, Abbot Nullius of Subiaco Abbey. At this time, he was given permission to continue his musical studies in Europe and the famous Juilliard School of Music in New York. Weakland hoped to complete his doctoral thesis on Ambrosian chant at Columbia University before returning to St. Vincent but that dream was 50 years away. One of the turning points in Weakland's clerical career came in 1956 when he met Giovanni Battista Montini, the Archbishop of Milan. Cut from the same temperament cloth, temperamental cloth, Montini, the future Pope Paul VI, took a shine to the young Benedictine monk who spoke fluent Italian. Montini mentally earmarked Weakland for advancement when and if he, Montini, became Pope. In June 1963, 
After serving in the Department of Music at St. Vincent's College for six years, Weakland was elected co-agitator Archabbot of St. Vincent Archabbey. The timetable is such that Weakland would have crossed paths with the infamous pederast David Holly, who was accepted as a seminarian at St. Vincent's Archabbey in the mid-1950s and ordained a Benedictine priest in 1958. Holly is currently serving a 275-year prison sentence for the molestation of adolescent boys. On May 8, 1964, Montini, now Pope Paul VI, appointed Weakland as consultant to the Commission for Implementing the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy of the Second Vatican Council. Weakland was a major architect of the final council document on the Sacred Liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, 1963. Following the close of the council, Weakland became a major player in international ecclesiastic politics in Rome at the synods of bishops in 1979-1971-1973-1987-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1997-1
Archbishop Wheatland was one of the first supporters of the forays of the homosexual collective into the Catholic Church in America. In Rueda's The Homosexual Network, published in 1982, Wheatland's role in assisting the collective to advance its agenda in Amchurch is well documented. As reported by Rueda, Wheatland's pro-homosexual position, including active support for pro-homosexual legislation, is a matter of public record, and his contribution to the homosexual movement has been acknowledged by all major national homosexual groups, including the National Gay Task Force, Dignity, and New Ways Ministry. Wheatland's notorious homosexual apologia, Herald of Hope, the Archbishop shares, who is our neighbor, which appeared in the Catholic Herald Citizen, the Diocesan Weekly for the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, on July 19, 1980, is filled with vintage pro-homosexual newspeak. Weakland employs pro-homosexual linguistics throughout the text and defends every tenet of the homosexual collective from homosexuality is inborn and irreversible to gay is good. The Archbishop consistently uses the term gay people when referring to homosexuals. His essay undermines the Bible's condemnation of sodomy and debunk, debunks the idea that homosexuals prey on young boys. The pro-homosexual article appeared the same year that Archbishop Wheatland himself engaged in a homosexual affair with a layman. Archbishop Wheatland helped to found and fund the Milwaukee AIDS Project, a 1986 initiative that included condom distribution for safe homosex and alternatives to sodomy, including mutual masturbation, consensual sadomasochist sex play, and the use of sex toys. Weakland permitted dignity masses at St. Pius X Catholic Church with the rainbow flag draped on the floor for an altar for more than 10 years. He also permitted pro-homosexual religious orders, such as the Salvatorians, in, to reside in the diocese. Cradle-to-grave sex instruction has been implemented in the Archdiocese with Weakland's enthusiastic backing. Young children have been sexualized and desacralized by systematic sex indoctrination through such programs as William Brown's New Creation series and so-called AIDS education that introduces children to the most perverse of all vices, seductively packaged and wrapped in a blanket of compassion and tolerance. The pornographic films Father Untener used to desensitize seminarians at St. John's Seminary in Saginaw were used in the Milwaukee Archdiocese from 1978 to 1988 as part of the Sexual Attitudinal Restructuring Program for Catholic Adults. Weakland is known in Amchurch and in Rome as a prelate who speaks his mind. Unfortunately, it is not a Catholic mind. He has beat the drums for finding a common ground for baby killing and for homosexual priesthood. He has defended the use of condoms as a prophylactic against AIDS. At the same time, he has opposed legitimate means of national defense, a primary function of government. However, it is in his handling of clerical sex abuse cases 
in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee that Archbishop Wheatland reveals his true character, playing hardball in Milwaukee. It can be said of Archbishop Wheatland that he never met a clerical sex abuser that he didn't like. In April 2002, when the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel began an extended series on clerical sex abuse in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, District Attorney E. Michael McCann and his, said his office was flooded with calls from victims, many of whom were molested by priests who were still being recycled from parish to parish. According to writer-researcher Robert A. Sunganis, out of 36 priests who were named as child molesters in the Archdiocese, 21 of them are still in the Milwaukee area, and six of those have active assignments. Not one of the 36 has ever been so much as questioned, and no parishioners except the victims knew the names of these priests. While the Archdiocesan Public Relations Department touted Weekland's model program for handling clerical sex offenders, the Archbishop was shuffling offenders from parish to parish. A well-documented case in point was that of Father William Effinger, whose victims number over 150, mainly boys, but also some young girls. In 1993, a judge ordered the opening of hereto sealed court records of the case, and Weakland was deposed in connection with a lawsuit brought by nine of Effinger's victims. In April 1979, Effinger told Archbishop Weakland that he abused a 13-year-old altar boy named Joseph Suniglia during the past Easter week. The priest had asked Joseph to stay overnight at the parish rectory because of early mass the next day. That evening, Avenger gave the boy a beer, got him into the only available bed, and molested him. Sonelia told his parents about the molestation. The following morning, after the Easter Sunday Mass, they confronted the criminal priest and shortly thereafter informed Weakland of the abuse. Weakland said the matter should be kept quiet for the child's sake and promised that the priest would never be put in a position where he could harm another boy. At about the same time, Weakland was privy to a second allegation concerning Father Effinger. Weakland sent the wayward priest away for evaluation and treatment. That same fall, Weakland reassigned Effinger to Holy Name Parish in Sheboygan, where the priest had daily access to parochial school children. My reading is from The Rite of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, Volume 4, pages 822 to 825. Before I get started on my comments, let me recommend to you this book on which all three of our podcasts, Mike's, Teresa's, and mine, is based. Please buy this book for yourself and see the thoroughness of her research and validity of her points for yourself, and maybe then you will start your own podcast based on her book through Anchor, as we have done, or some other podcasting site and help to combat the corruption and immorality in the Roman Catholic Church. Her book is available in a five-volume set through www.newenglepublishing.com, and she has interviews on YouTube. 
She spent 17 years struggling for publication and researching. The corruption and immorality in the Roman Catholic Church has been the work of pro-homosexual groups and individuals, and even of communist agents sent by the former Soviet Union, who imposed their agenda subtly and brazenly to weaken and destroy the church from within. As stated in Wolves and Sheep's Clothing, a DVD available through www.ewtn.com, Religious Catalog, and from Amazon, and the book Goodbye Good Men by Michael S. Rose. These priests and bishops are indeed wolves, not shepherds, as my colleague and friend Mike says. Our own parish priest, though not promoting or practicing pederasty or homosexuality, is also a wolf, not a shepherd, since he is practicing our and promoting indifference to other people's problems, vengefulness, spitefulness, backbiting, excluding people from attendance at mass or even visiting the perpetual adoration chapel and penalizing the spouse of someone who dared to disagree with his holiness and CEO of our church, or so he thinks and says, by forbidding him to come to our church too. That isn't a priest or the humility and love of a true priest, but only a wolf in sheep's clothing and someone from central casting playing a priest in his own movie and wearing a Roman collar, but not living up to that collar, and the demeanor and responsibilities fitting that collar. Actual priests want people to come to church, to hear more about and get closer to Jesus, and never forbid them to come to church. If these perverted, corrupt, and rotten personality phony priests want to promote and practice their homosexual agenda and indifference and other immorality, they need to leave the Catholic Church alone and go to some church where all of that is already practiced or start their own morally lax and permissive excuse for a church. But as long as they are in the Roman Catholic Church, they should abide by its rules and morals or get out and stop presenting themselves as actual priests and Catholics. Catholicism can't be defined in any way that you like to suit yourself but is the truth of Jesus Christ and has set principles and morals and doctrines and anything other than those is just a counterfeit of true Catholicism and Christianity. And now a reading from the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Faith, 2087, 2088, and 2089. Our moral life has its source in faith in God who reveals his love to us. St. Paul speaks of the obedience of faith as our first obligation. He shows that ignorance of God is the principle and explanation of all moral deviations. Our duty toward God is to believe in him and to bear witness to him. 2088, the first commandment requires us to nourish and protect our faith with prudence and vigilance, and to reject everything that is opposed to it. There are various ways of sinning against faith. Voluntary doubt about the faith disregards or refuses to hold as true what God has revealed, and the church proposes for belief. Involuntary doubt refers to hesitation in believing, difficulty in overcoming objections connected with the faith, 
or also anxiety aroused by its obscurity. If deliberately cultivated and cultivated, doubt can lead to spiritual blindness. 2089. Incredulity is the neglect of revealed truth or the willful refusal to assent to it. Heresy is the obstinate post-baptismal denial of some truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith, or it is likewise an obstinate doubt concerning the same. Apostasy is the total repudiation of the Christian faith. Schism is the refusal of submission to the Roman pontiff or of communion with the members of the church subject to him. All right, that's all I have to read from or comment about right now, and so I'll end it here. May God use this podcast to touch people's hearts and may the Holy Spirit spread the faith through this podcast. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.